everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You. I'm Stephanie Fields, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoor Gupta, and also Thomas Horton, who is a lead consultant for Informed Consulting. And today, Thomas is joining us to talk about telemedicine and telehealth and what the advantages are, what trends he's seeing, and all things telehealth. So with that, thank you so much for being here with us today, Thomas. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing as a lead consultant at Informed Consulting and how that plays into telehealth. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so at Informed Consulting, we're working with early and mid-stage companies um, within the digital health space that have a product and are really looking for assistance on their go-to-market strategy and understanding where their particular service or offering plays best in terms of the benefits ecosystem at large. Being that we're in the digital health space, I think telehealth has a natural tie. Um, it's become increasingly, increasingly used and utilized over the past year, which I think we're going to talk a little bit about. But it's just, it's a really good example of a digital health solution that has become mainstream and, and that people are seeing the true impacts of. What are the benefits of using telehealth and what have you seen the uptake like? during COVID? Well, the benefits are convenience. So um, anytime something is more convenient, there's going to be higher utilization. And anytime people are um, seeing their physicians more frequently, that's a good thing. There's downstream impacts. Um, in terms of the popularity rising, I think it's, it's people might be surprised that telehealth has been around for a number of years. Um, but you know, about 11 months ago, something happened called coronavirus or COVID-19. Um, and people were really looking for an opportunity to, to interact with their doctor, but maybe avoid the exposure through socially distancing from other people to obviously avoid the impacts of, of COVID. So telehealth became uh, increasingly uh, more popular and a more viable option. Um, it was, it began to be promoted um, by a number of people where maybe it previously wasn't promoted as a, as a, a really good alternative to in-person doctor care. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after the fact, but the numbers from you know, March until, uh, from March of last year to now are kind of staggering in terms of the spike in what it was the year before and then what, it, what we saw over the summer and up to this point. It really has taken quite an evolution because whatever telehealth started, I think it started really as simple, simply as being able to message your doctor through their, the health system portal. And then you'd wait, you know, up to two days for, a res, for an answer for a non-urgent medical question. And then it evolved to being able to schedule appointments with your doctor for certain non-urgent things. And then, like you said, during COVID, it really just became okay, we can treat pretty much everything digitally. People were forced to be able to figure it out. And I know there are companies like one of Informed Consulting's clients, CureEye, who are solely about telemedicine and about making sure that people are getting that access and building that relationship with their provider during COVID, but also for the duration. So what is that right. like being able to see companies like CureEye just explode during this? And service so many more people who might not have been seeing a doctor otherwise. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think people have always kind of believed in the idea of telehealth, um, but a couple of things 
really had to happen before it could take off. Um, the technology is a huge piece of it. So technology has improved. Um, it has to be, you know, a good user experience like people are expecting to, to see based on what they experience in the rest of their lives through, um, you know, other platforms that they might be engaging with. And then, you know, there has to be access. And there's been a significant increase in the number of physicians that are participating in telehealth. So that, that number has continued to rise, and I think it will continue to rise because they're seeing, they're seeing to your point, you can do a lot through, um, through essentially your smartphone, right? Like that's how you're interacting with, with your doctor. And there aren't necessarily maybe the limitations that people previously uh, thought there might be. So, you know, there might've been some skepticism about what can I really accomplish by talking to my doctor through the phone? Well, now that more people have, have attempted it, have tried it, have experienced it, they can see that it's, it's comparable to what you would experience in an in-person in -person, uh, uh, visit. And then you have, to your point, you know, companies that are really stepping up and, and making the experience and, and the capabilities even more extensive than maybe they previously were when telehealth first came out, to, to your eyes point and to the other ones that are out there. Um, they're doing a lot to make it um, better and, and more accessible and more comprehensive, I would say. Poor of yeah. Or that whenever you were you were a practicing doctor, you were an internist. You were saying that whenever telehealth first started, you know, you'd look at the trend and it just seemed like a dream. So what is it now, looking at it from a doctor's perspective and seeing how it really has infiltrated the U.S. medical system now? Yes. I think, uh, Stephanie, it's it's amazing because this is one of those trends that uh, for a decade or more, uh, we just kept looking at and wondering, when is it really going to take off? Everybody sort of keeps talking about it, but nothing is happening. And then boom, you know, just as you said, on the consumer side with the technology companies, it's been a, a great increase on the, on the medical side. For the most part, I think what I'm hearing from uh, physicians is that that's gone pretty well. I think they're happy with it, uh, but they do worry. Uh, they worry that uh, the systems are being rolled out maybe too quickly. Uh, they worry about what's going to happen once the uh, pandemic slows down and will uh, benefits companies, insurance companies continue to cover these services. And, and they also worry about things that they may be missing because they're uh, not laying hands on, on uh, patients. So I'd love to get, Thomas, your perspective on that. Are you seeing any of that side of the equation uh, come up at all? I think one thing that, that, I, that I failed to mention that really kind of expedited the growth of the, the usage or utilization of telehealth was really the, the government stepping in and, and loosening regulations, at least temporarily around what you can do or what's covered through a telehealth visit. They increased access um, to people under uh, circumstances where maybe they weren't previously allowed to do it. I think a good example is, I think prior to um, to COVID, if you had a high deductible health plan, you weren't able to use telehealth if you hadn't met your deductible or something along those lines, which I found, I found shocking. And they temporarily loosened the restrictions on that. And I think what will be interesting to see is, you know, the kind of the cat's out of the bag, right? Like people have experienced this and they, it, the, the results have been up to this point, they, they appear to be good. So people are going to want to continue to use it. So what's the government going to do in terms of maybe uh, loosening those regulations or restrictions long-term, not just temporarily, like what they've done now? And then, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Gupta, to your point, what are we missing? I think 
that'll be really interesting to find out. Like, so we've been collecting essentially 11 months of data for people that have been utilizing this service. What are we going to uncover that is that needs to be maybe expanded on or, or fixed? But the, the surveys from uh, people using it are comparable to the satisfaction that they get from an in-person visit. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Right. Right. And Thomas said, you know, to that point, something as simple as uh, if the regulations change or payment mechanisms change right now, for example, telehealth is pretty much covered at the same rates as a physical visit. So doctors are feeling more comfortable with uh, spending the same amount of time on a telehealth visit. But if that reimbursement gets cut, then will doctors and health systems still offer that service or will they feel more pressure to now do it in five minutes instead of 10, which is when the whole rat race and treadmill starts again. Do you have a perspective on that? No, I think it's a, I think it's a really good point. I think it comes back to, you know, I think, I think healthcare can be inherently a little intimidating to people. And I think this kind of option is going to encourage people to maybe utilize their their benefits, their health insurance more than they have in the past. So I think, I think hope, or I'm, I should say I'm optimistic that, that people will see the benefit of encouraging more people to, to see their doctor. And if that makes it, if, if that's only achievable through making it easy, which we know when something is easier, more people are likely to adopt it and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope the, I hope the, the likely effects of that will be, will outweigh um, any potential, uh, you know, competing priorities between, you know, the, the payment between a telehealth visit versus an in-person visit. Um, because you're right. Like if, if there's a difference between the two and one's more advantageous for in-person, then maybe less physicians will participate in telehealth, which again, decreases accessibility for the end user. So I'm optimistic that it'll, um, people will see the benefit and will continue to trend in the direction that it's trending. But I guess only time will tell. That could be an interesting uh, little whirlpool that we could be in if that happens, because if the prices were not as high and doctors were less incentivized to offer telehealth visits, I wonder if people would then go back to not seeking care as frequently. And I wonder if people, if the prices were the same, if people would eventually question why they're the same as going in person, because you're not having a doctor physically touch you or examine you. So I wonder if they'll think that there should be a lower cost for the telemedicine visits. That'll be an interesting thing to watch and see where that value lands. Well, I know what, I know from talking to several telehealth providers, um, they've all been working on for, for a while, I think even prior to, to COVID, They've been working on a, a virtual primary care kind of subscription model um, because primarily what people have been utilizing during this, the last 11 months is really the urgent care feature. So they're paying per that one visit, but a virtual uh, primary care option would essentially be replacing your primary care physician and you would be seeing the same doctor on a consistent basis. Um, you would be you know, generating rapport with them. You would they would know who you are. You're not seeing a different person each time. So I think how the virtual care, primary care uh, option evolves will really dictate kind of uh, where it goes from there in terms of uh, utilization. Yeah. yeah. They might be going outside of their typical health network. You might not stay with 
you know, one specific health system and you might end up going to those companies, you know, like Curie that have a subscription model and you pay one set cost per year, but it includes all the primary care visits. And then if you need any tests, you do that separately, but that, that goes back to the system, but it allows you to develop the relationship. So it really could change the whole model of healthcare rather than being loyal to a health system. You then have all these other options, which is great for the consumer and really probably everyone because it's really forcing you to come up with your best solution to offer to people, which gives people more choice and more opportunities for better care. No, absolutely. And, and what's the employer's role in that? Is this going to be entirely a voluntary thing that the employee is funding on their own as a, as a monthly or yearly subscription? Um, you know, a, a large percentage, I don't know exactly what percent it is, but a large percent of um, health plans, especially for self-insured employers today, include some sort of telehealth component within their actual plan design. Um, but are they going to go to a model where employers are offering a standalone telehealth model where it's not necessarily covered by the premium, but covered by a separate subscription? And does that separate subscription entitle you to some additional layer of service? So there's, there's a lot of components and a lot of variables, and it'll, see, it'll be interesting to see kind of which direction um, all the parties involved go. Like our health plans going to really take a look at what they're covering for telehealth and maybe enhance it um will the demand be there it's it's a lot to a lot to unpack but i think it's a really good conversation and i think you know people will obviously look back at at 2020 as kind of an inflection point for the the utilization and adoption of telehealth yeah and in in terms of the direction that stephanie is commenting about thomas the interesting point is to think it's certainly going to be a disruptive uh, technology it's going to change relationships it might give consumers more access and give them the kind of access that they want uh, but i know that doctors and health systems worry about the opposite effect because they will be the ones that get disrupted uh, and so then what happens to the health system consumer relationship to the doctor patient relationship if that gets disrupted and we, we truly have virtual primary care you could see anybody in the world is the system then going to get run by just a few uh, health systems that have really figured out how to deliver really good virtual primary care and does the doctor get commoditized? Uh, your comments? I really do think the consumer experience and the consumer feedback will drive the direction that it goes. I don't know that um, in terms of commoditizing the doctor, I think if if the end user, the consumer doesn't get, doesn't feel that they're getting the experience that they would get in person, then you'll start to see uh, their behavior migrate back to, um, you know, a brick and mortar in-person visit. And, and that'll obviously kind of disrupt the adoption of telehealth and, and either make them, make them change um, or, or not. I mean, they, they would have to change if people feel like they're not getting that, that experience and it becomes, mm -hmm. you're just another person. You're, you're trying, you're FaceTiming with the doctor for five minutes and not getting really the value that you feel like you should be getting. So um, I think if it, if it loses uh, any sense of kind of customer satisfaction, then it'll revert back to um, the other direction of going to traditional in-person. Well, that's really fascinating. If you think about it, like how you just said it, you know, the value that the consumer um, is perceiving and whether they're feeling like they're getting the right amount of value. 
I kind of wonder then, are you going to get into a situation of thinking of telehealth like Walmart or Target or Amazon? You know, you're going to be like, well, okay, I have this finger abrasion. So I'm going to go to the Walmart equivalent. I know it's cheap. I'm not going to get great service, but it's going to be there. I know that they can get me done because they have plenty of resources. Or are you then going to think, okay, well, this is a little bit more serious, or I just don't want to deal with poor customer service. So I'm going to go to Target. Or then are you going to go to maybe your healthcare system, which is perceived to be like a Nordstrom? You know, that's really fascinating to how those breakdowns might happen. No, absolutely. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, when we break down the demographics of people that are actually using the service, what's, what's, are, are certain people more likely to use telehealth than others, right? Like, is it, or is it, uh, an, a very high percentage of, of young people that are using it versus maybe the, the older generation. Um, and what's the limitation of what a person is willing to use telehealth for? Like, what's that threshold where I, I'm experiencing something that I, I'm not comfortable um, having diagnosed over, over the phone or over a laptop? I really want to see someone in person. So I think it's I think it's a matter of threshold in terms of what a person is experiencing. If it's just your preventative care and you feel like you're getting exactly what you would get if you went in person, then why wouldn't you opt for the convenient at home on demand uh, option, right? But if it's if it's anything above and beyond that where you need that touch of a doctor, which I don't think ever is, is gonna go away, it's just we need to establish kind of the limitations of what you can accomplish um, through technology and through telehealth visits. Is there any correlation to the people who are using telehealth, whether or not they're PPO or HDHP users? Does that have any indication of their threshold for these types of treatments? I think prior to um, the CARES Act, which is uh, a you know, coronavirus aid relief uh, economic security act, um, you probably would have seen a, a disproportionate amount of PPO users um, PPO policyholders using it. That's um, to my point earlier related to uh, you know deductibles and, and what's what's covered and not covered versus the two different plans. So, but now that it's been relieved, um, I'm not sure that you would see a correlation between the type of plan that you have and the type of person that's using that. Could you speak a little bit, Thomas? You, it was interesting uh, uh, as a um, minute ago, you were talking about the different variables that come into play. Um, there's also a privacy angle to this, right? In, in addition to convenience and access and, and the cost, uh, for example, behavioral health through telehealth has actually gone up dramatically and maybe something people wouldn't have been able to predict. And we, I wonder if that's because it is not only accessible and convenient, but also because it is more private since you don't have to interface with too many people anymore. It's just you and the doctor on the other side of the screen. Yeah, I think I think first and foremost, you know, obviously people take their their, their medical privacy very seriously. So these any sort of you know institution or, or company that's offering this service is first and foremost going to have to have the have the confidence of the people that are using it that everything is secure, that everything is above board, everything is is private and, and not at risk of being um, you know leaked or or what have you, no security threats. 
in the safety and quality world, we sort of worry, maybe worry a little too much, right? It's legalistic type thinking, but in the healthcare world, those of us who have, who've been in it for some time, you worry about the things that you don't know. You, you worry about, for example, it's great that it's accessible. People like to use it. They're having good experience with it, but what could we possibly be missing? Uh, an example in virtual primary care, for example, might be maybe the relationship is great with the doctor over the six months that I'm in that system, but what happens now that I leave that system? Am I going to have more primary care doctors over the course of my lifetime that I have to maintain the continuity with? And in that case, then you're losing you know, a big benefit of primary care, which is long-term over the life of a, of a patient continuity. So it's sort of that kind of thing that I was trying to get at. Maybe it's a little bit... Uh, you know, more future thinking, uh, but that's the kind of thing that I think worries some physicians and, and health system executives about. Uh, we can roll out the technology, we can try to make it accessible and easy to use, uh, but is it really going to duplicate uh, the high quality uh, and safe experience that we've tried to create in person? And what are some of the things, some of the technologies you mentioned um, when we were talking previously about cardiologists trying to use some new technology, some of those things that might catch some of those, fill some of those gaps that Apoor was mm -hmm. talking about that make sure that you are getting that same quality of care. It's not going to substitute the relationship in person, but. Yeah. Yeah, there, I think there's, there's so much more access to health data now at a personal level than maybe there was before through the advent of wearables, through the advent of uh, home devices to track your your own health, whether it's you know blood pressure or, or whatever whatever it might be. Um, I think a, a natural progression is these telehealth platforms utilizing that data, not just gathering it, but actually utilizing it for actionable uh, courses for consumers to take. Um, to your point about the the cardiologists, there's an interesting company out there, Corberics, that is looking at collecting or integrating the data from your wearable into their platform and essentially, essentially trying to prevent any sort of cardiovascular issues that you might have. And if they can identify someone who's at high risk or medium risk, they'll connect you with a cardiologist to um, essentially assess, assess your situation, set forth a course of action to try and prevent any um, downstream impacts in the future. So I think, I think we're gonna see the emergence of a lot of additional um, digital health companies to maybe supplement what we're seeing with telehealth. Um, we've already talked about mental health a little bit. Um, I know, you know, physical, physical well-being, um, obviously with a lot of gyms closed around the country or a lot of people working from home, you know, what are, what can employers do to make sure their employees are still staying active and staying fit? There's a lot of solutions out there, whether it's, you know, a couple that I've worked with uh, WellBeats, um, Burn Along. These are, all, these are all virtual physical fitness programs that you can utilize at home with very little equipment. And it really just goes into um, kind of an, an employer consumer's overall well-being. So what can we do in terms of, or what can these telehealth companies do in terms of using all this different data from these different systems to collect a whole picture of the person um, to make sure that they are uh, really addressing their entire health, right? Like, so it's not mm -hmm. to, to Dr. Gupta's point, you're going for, to one doctor over here, you're getting a new primary care physician. 
um, six months from now? Like, how can you have a cohesive picture of your health throughout the, the time that you're using it or using the, the platform? So I think it's a matter of um, whoever can figure out the best way to connect all the systems and deliver the product, I think is going to be um, kind of at the forefront. And who owns the data then, Thomas? As you were speaking, I was having uh, shivers back to portability and accountability of uh, transportability of, of the medical record. So if you're shifting from one telemedicine provider to another, where does your data reside? Do you own it? Will you be able to access it? Uh, you know, it's it's what we've been struggling with for, for decades. Any thoughts on along those lines? I have thoughts on what I think it should be. I don't know that I know what it will be. I think nice. I think you should own your own health records as as the person whose health that it is. Um, it does. I I I I'm sure it's a, it's a much more complex issue than that. As um, as all this data is being out there and it's collected and it's going from one system to another, how do you um, maintain the security of it? How do you how do you make sure that it's um, being used by the people that need to need to use it. So it's, it's a complex issue. Um, but I guess my short answer would be uh, the the you the person the, the consumer owns their own health data. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I guess the question is, since you're advising these companies, do you think the telehealth companies are thinking about that? Are they worried about the the data side of of the equation? Or are they mostly focused on let's get this built up and ensure the user experience and expand as quickly as we can. The ones I've spoken to are definitely, they're definitely thinking about it. Um, they're definitely thinking about the regulatory and, and legal concerns or thinking about the privacy. They're, they're taking all that into consideration. So I will applaud them for that. It's not, um, it's not a race to just get the product out there, which, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if that happened given the, the current circumstances, but that doesn't appear to be the case. Um, they've been kind of very deliberate in terms of uh, what they're rolling out and how they're rolling it out. I think um, just from the ones I've spoken to, the next big hurdle is to figure out uh, virtual primary care to move away just, just from the urgent care kind of utilization that they're seeing today. What would you tell people who are maybe hesitant to use telehealth or to give that a shot? What are, how do you feel about telehealth? You know, is this something that people should be trying in certain situations? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, the next time you're contemplating going to your doctor or the urgent care for um, what you would maybe consider a, a mild cold or, or, or flu or whatever it might be, try telehealth, right? Like try it. I think like anything else, once you've tried it, once you've experienced it, you become more comfortable with it and you can see it's, it really is, um, it really is comparable to, to what you would experience otherwise. And it's, a, it's valuable, it's convenient. I think people cherish convenience. I know I do. Um, so I would say just try it and, um, and you'll likely try it again. And along those lines, Thomas, do you have any other guidance for people as they try it? What, what are some of the common pitfalls to, that they can avoid or, or uh, tips for having a good outcome with telehealth? I think it starts if we're so coming from my space, um, we're oftentimes dealing with uh, the large enterprise employer space that are making these benefits available to their employees. So I think it starts from from my perspective, it starts there. It's like, so you the employer, you have a, a 
diverse workforce, how are you addressing all of the different needs of that workforce? Because there are a lot of solutions out there. So I think it's it's having a well-rounded approach. We've talked about a few things here today. We've obviously talked about telehealth, talked about mental health, physical health, uh, emotional health. So having having a, a well-rounded set of uh, kind of digital or virtual solutions for your workforce is step number one. Um, there are a lot of options out there. So I think it's identifying, you know, what fits best for your, your company's needs. And then uh, secondarily, or not secondarily, but second, is kind of the delivery of how are you making these things available? How are you, how are you generating awareness? How are you educating your folks on what these different um, offerings are? It has to be, you can't just put it out there and, and hope these folks are gonna find it on their own and use it. It really has to be um, a, a deliberate effort a deliberate rollout plan to make these things available. Because I think once you do it, um, these companies are, are doing a really good job. So if you, if the consumer or the employee tries it, I, I think, you know, what, what they've seen is they're going to, they're going to be satisfied and they're going to utilize it again. Like their, mm -hmm. their utilization rates for people that have tried it once are, are good. Seeing everything that you're seeing on getting that insider's perspective, what do you think we're looking at over the next year, year and a half? What have you heard about the new administration, how this might impact telehealth? So what's telehealth looking like 12 or 18 months from now? Given the results they saw with the CARES Act after they um, you know, loosened some of the regulations, I don't think it can go back to um, exactly how it was pre-COVID. I think some of the the rules are, are here to stay, um, specifically around you know how the payment, how payment is done, um, and how uh, who's who's eligible. Really, I think that was a, a big core change: is who's eligible to use this. Um, I think I don't have the stat in front of me, but when they when they laxed the rules for uh, Medicare users, they saw a huge spike in, in terms of like. I think maybe 3 million beneficiaries utilizing a telehealth visit with a doctor once they uh, implemented the CARES Act. So I I'm optimistic that a lot of the changes are here to stay. Um, but again, I think it's going to depend on um, some of the security concerns that were already there pre-COVID, the legal um, ramifications. So it's, it's a lot TBD, but I think the fact that so many people have used it, so many people have been satisfied that um, long-term it looks good for telehealth. Well, that is really great news. It sounds like overall we're looking at a, a really great new option that can remove some barriers, even though it has some challenges, but I'm sure they'll figure that out as they go along. So thank you so much for being on the show and talking with us about all things telehealth today. Thank you. It was a real pleasure, Thomas. Thank you. Great expertise. Well, thank you. Great chatting with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.